0: name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen you can be seated good morning everybody everybody online good morning to you as well it's good to have you with us jesus and his parables are such a strange and uncomfortable thing to experience if you've ever spent time with jesus and the stories of his parables you're you're probably like me you found yourself going what in the world is that one about what do you do with that how do you take that to work ...on Monday, you know? Like, what do you do with this with the kids at home? You quote that parable to the kids? What do you do with this? Well, maybe, but maybe you don't. But Jesus didn't tell parables just to sort of make a moral point... ...or to sort of challenge us philosophically... ...or just to talk about abstract ideas. Even though, because it's obscure and a little veiled... It may th- ...you may think, oh, he's speaking abstractly, right? No, he didn't do it to be abstract. Jesus used parables to talk about himself and to talk about his mission. The thing that he had come to do, this is actually what Jesus was talking about in his parables. But it's not so clear. Why? He gave it in such a way to reveal himself and his mission to people who were looking for answers, who were open to it. He gave it to them in a way that they could hear it. And to those who wanted to, stand opposed to him, to reject him, to get in his way, he gave that same story, same words, in a veiled, concealed way, revealing the mystery of the kingdom to those who were expecting it, looking for it, wanting it, and veiling the mystery of the kingdom to those who didn't want to be disturbed. Does that make sense? That's, can we just time out for a second? Jesus is brilliant, like utterly intellectually stunning. Who does this? I can't think of a single contemporary or someone like him or someone even today that did this the way that this master could do it. I read this and I think I don't know necessarily exactly what this is about, but that's brilliant. Whatever this is about, that's brilliant. Now, some parables were revealing how the kingdom of God works. How? How? Who gets to get in? Who it is involved with? Who it concerns? For instance. Oftentimes you'll hear Jesus talking about in parables the kingdom of God is for the poor or for the outcast, for all of the people that the world calls unimportant. These are the most valued in the kingdom of God. That's how this works. You'll hear Jesus and some parables getting at that. But he also uses parables to warn those in power. He also uses parables to warn the self-righteous, the people that think, you know, I got this. The proud, he used his parables to say to them, God's kingdom is going to bring about a reckoning. It's going to bring about a true justice, a true setting things right. And it's a mercy, it's a grace that I'm warning you that this is on its way for those who stand in the way of the kingdom of God. So parables, for instance, like this one, are, aren't so heartwarming necessarily. Um, but they are, this one from Luke 20. They are um, news of judgments and impending ju- uh, punishment that will come to those who oppose the way God does things, the way that God is going to set things right. So once again, here's this perplexing parable, and it leaves us asking, just like it did last week, if you're here for the sermon about that parable, um, this parable leaves us in a very similar place. What does this mean? And especially, where am I in this story? Again, This isn't about abstract ideas. Jesus is talking about himself and what he's doing. And he's inviting us into this story and and prompting us to say, what is this about me? Where am I in this story? What truth is being revealed to me here, being offered to me here, that I could dare to discern or just reject and dismiss and move on? Some of the questions I want to just spend some time with you all together this morning. So let's look at verse 9 where we began. I just want to walk through this just a little bit. The context. Let's start with some context. Notice that Jesus is, just like last week, addressing scribes and Pharisees, the chief priests. i um, sorry, the scriptures say the scribes and chief priests. Last week it was scribes and Pharisees, but it's kind of the, the same group of uh, people in the religious establishment elite. Those in power in the temple in this religious system. And before, if you remember last week, they were challenging Jesus about his, good, his bad company, right? The sinners and tax collectors that he was hanging out with. Now these scribes and chief priests are challenging uh, Jesus' authority. Who are you to speak to us this way, with this authority? Who are you to talk definitively and authoritatively about God's kingdom and the way God does things? Who are you to tell us Notice their power and their sense of authority is totally backward, is totally upside down when it comes in contact with Jesus Christ. We know who he is. I think they're struggling with that. We know him as the Messiah, Christ, God's own son. And they're saying to him, what authority do you have to come to the temple and teach us about God? (laughs) That's kind of funny for us to watch. Jesus refuses, though. They say, show us your credentials, and Jesus says, I'm not. No. He refuses to submit to them and said, he offers them this parable. That whole context, it actually really matters, because it's doing a certain kind of work in that dynamic, in that group of people. But Jesus, he also didn't just sort of pull this story out of thin air, like, I don't know, let me... Let me tell a story, I'll just make it up on the spot. No, he is actually retrieving this ancient prophecy from Isaiah 5 about God planting a vineyard. Did you know this? Cultivating this land, God was, he was up to this, protecting it, creating this oasis of goodness for his people to flourish. But this vineyard that God was making, it was overrun by injustice, by violence, by selfishness, by sin and suffering. And let me read to you in Isaiah 5, verse 7, um, the, in the whole prophecy in Isaiah it kind of goes on and on. And right in 7, there's sort of a peek behind the curtain. In case you're not catching what this is about, um, Isaiah's prophecy pulls back the curtain and says, let me just like interpret this a little bit for you. And this is what it says in verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, outcry. And it's interesting to me that Jesus retrieves this prophecy in Isaiah 5 as an answer for this challenge to his authority, to the scribes and the chief priests. Retrieving this prophecy to respond to the challenge of authority, I think this is really fascinating. And it's clear that the vineyard owner in Jesus' parable is God, right? The Father. The tenants of the vineyard, that's Israel. And same in keeping with Isaiah 5. Uh, the messengers are the prophets. Again and again, they, God sends prophets. And what does Israel do to the prophets? Well, they kick them out and murder them. Things like that, right? And then the fruit of the vineyard is repentance and union with God coming home, right? And finally, The son of the vineyard, the owner's son that he sends, surely they will respect him. Who do you guys think that is? Jesus of Nazareth, of course. Just like the prophets was kicked out and killed. And it's no small detail, and trust me, this did not go overlooked by the early church fathers, that Jesus was crucified just outside the city gates. Kicked outside the vineyard and killed. Interesting, isn't it? At the end of the parable in verses 15 through 16, our Lord, he poses this question. Listen to this. This is, this is sort of the meat and potatoes of the situation here. What then will the owner of the vineyard, vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. That's the answer Jesus offers. And when the crowd heard this, they said, Whoa, hold on a second. No way. Surely not. But he looked directly, uh, directly at them and said, Kind of like, explain this to me then. What then is this that is written, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? He's quoting Psalm 118 here. He goes on, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. Now reconcile this kind of comment out of the Jesus that you know, that's typically not threatening violence, right? And you think, well, what... How do you make sense of a Jesus that speaks like this? I think it's really helpful, again, why context is is so important here. Jesus is not sort of indiscriminately threatening random people here, right? He's not just issuing this general threat of watch out to just anyone. This was aimed at the scribes and the chief priests that he directed this to. And in case we're wondering, like, well, Sean, are you sure? Look, guys, I'm going to say it. The Bible says, okay, verse 19 says, they perceived that he had told this parable against them. Yeah. This was clearly a shot across the bow to scribes and the chief priests. And this, he didn't even come out and say it, but this is the brilliance of Jesus, that he could be loud and clear with these folks. Loud and clear, and they knew it. Revealing and concealing an insight into who he was and what he had come to do. And for those in the crowd who are hearing this, those who maybe weren't part of sort of the elite power establishment of the, the, the religious institution, those who were looking for answers, the poor, the needy, those Gentiles who are maybe on the outside of the fold thinking, like, who is this rabbi walking around healing, announcing God, making things right in the world? I, w- I want to know what's going on here. For those, there's a story that is revealing, uh, that is revealing who Jesus is to them he is the one that God is sending to make things right and through this Jesus God will give them the vineyard remember that part of the parable and he's going to give the vineyard to others you know who those others are hearing this going oh we know who those others are sweet God has good news for us our needs will be tended to we will be invited into the loving kindness of God's oasis his goodness we can come back home with him too Revealing, concealing, all at the same time to different people. And for those in power who'd rather hold on to their authority and just say, Jesus, leave us undisturbed. We're fine. We have what we want. For those, they're given a real crystal clear warning about judgment that is coming. And it should be scary and it should be sobering, right? They may reject him. But this stone that they reject will become the cornerstone of the new temple that God in his world is setting up through Jesus. This is the one, though they reject him, through that rejection will bring salvation for all. And judgment to anyone who gets in the way of that. Let me put this really maybe a little bit more plain. God does not negotiate or accommodate with competing powers in his kingdom. There's just no there's no peace talks with God. He has nothing to gain. All power belongs to him. It's all on loan. And when he comes to reckon with what is evil and not right in the world, he will set that right. And if anyone stands in opposition to that, any power, any nation, any authority, any wealth, I don't care what you have on your sort of reputation or your name. I don't care what position of power you sit in. You will have to reckon with the power of God's kingdom and this Messiah, Christ. So how's that for authority? I hear Jesus implying in his response. He isn't messing around with those who inflict suffering on other people. He isn't messing around with oppression, those who have their boots on the necks of others. He is not messing around or negotiating with evil. And friends, this is actually really good news. And it's dangerous news to those who would rather be undisturbed. He is the one who planted this vineyard. It's his. He is the one responsible for cultivating it into an oasis for all of humanity to thrive and prosper in his presence. He is the son that is sent to go and retrieve the fruit of repentance from this world gone wry, gone bad, gone upside down. He is the one, friends, that was thrown out. He is the one who was crucified and he is the one who will be raised up and made that cornerstone come Easter. Amen. This is his vineyard, friends. You and I, look look to your left and to your right. Can you just please do this for me? Look at these people. This is the Lord's vineyard. And none of you are going to get in the way of the goodness that God's bringing about. And all of you stand as beneficiaries of the goodness of this vineyard. The fruit of that vineyard, it is yours. Not because of who you are. You're something like kind of extra religious or special. Or not because of some position of power. But only, friends, and listen. Only because you have a posture of your heart. A disposition to say, I want to make my life in alignment with the kingdom of God. In other words, I want to rethink everything that I've thought before. And be welcomed into God's vineyard. That's what we call repentance. Repentance is what makes us beneficiaries of the, the fruit of God's goodness in his kingdom and in his vineyard, in other words. So if this is true, if this is really true, the vineyard is among us, is sitting next to you, is within us. This is God's vineyard. If this is really true, what does this parable then prompt in us, in you, today? Especially in Lent, as we're doing this sort of taking inventory of things and thinking through What isn't quite right here, Lord? What is this prompting you? What sort of preparation in your own life do you think needs to happen? So that when Holy Week comes and Jesus' work of his death, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection come to pass, that you can indeed enter into the vineyard of his kingdom. You can share in the fruit of repentance. And the forgiveness of sins. Think about this. What about the other people in your life, those closely connected to you? They're the vineyard too. Are you one of those that God has sent to tend, to cultivate this vineyard faithfully? Or maybe you're in a position where you'd really not hear about God challenging the way you do things, or the advantage that you're taking of other people, or the inconsideration, or maybe even the violence that you're committing on other people in all of its various ways, would you rather just sort of put your ears, your, your fingers in your ears, and, oh, I didn't hear this. Watch out, friends, if that's you. And that's all of us to some degree. We have the work of repentance to do. This parable has been used um, throughout church history to try to do the work of naming who's in and who's out of God's kingdom. But I think that when you focus on that, you kind of entirely missed the point. This is why I bring up context and walk us through it. If anything, this parable is helping those who are headed out to realize it and to turn around. For all of us to recognize, oh yeah, I'm headed in a different direction than God's kingdom. I'm walking out of his vineyard. I need to stop. I need to turn around, head the other direction. For those of us who want to become Christ's disciples and continue to walk in his way, we, this means that repentance will, will invite us to lay down any pretense that we have, any self-justifying talk that maybe is even occupying our minds right now, any sort of self-preservation, coercion, manipulation, violence, whatever it takes to sort of justify the ends that we want. It might mean, repentance might mean rethinking our whole life's arrangements in light of Christ. It certainly does. Friends, we are merely tenants of these vineyards that we have. Tenants of our lives as we have them. And God is remaking his garden in you and in others. That's what he's up to. That's who Jesus is and that's what he's doing. And he's doing it by planting his own body in the ground of your life. And growing up this lush, beautiful kingdom. That's what he's doing. So this morning we ask... How are we cooperating with that? How are we not cooperating with that? How maybe are we standing in the way of God planting his son in our life and growing up this vineyard? Brothers and sisters, can I encourage you? Have no fear naming those things, those powers, those arrangements in your life that obstruct the growth of God's vineyard. And that fruit, the offering of that fruit of repentance. Have no fear naming anything that gets in the way of this shame can i just try and help name for you guys shame greed worry scarcity lust control sadness hopelessness despair sense of superiority pride heavy doubts cynicism laziness anger we could go on and on right talking about the, the forces that are at war within us and the good news is that we don't have to fear naming any of those things because at the very center of our soul Your loving Father in heaven is planting a vineyard, and nothing will get in the way of that. You can say, Yes, Lord, I am captive to these things. Would you plant your son in this vineyard and grow up this beautiful life of yours, Lord, in me? And he's not, I say this every week, and I'm sorry if I'm a broken record, but when I would hear this at church as a kid, I'd think, Well, that's an interesting spiritual concept. But I mean this really concretely. The Holy Spirit is within you, doing this work of planting a vineyard. And even now, in this meal, friends, in this meal, you are receiving the seed of that vineyard in your life, in your body. And all of you are. God is indeed planting a vineyard. And if we want in on that, our only invitation is to bear the fruit of repentance. And we're going to do that in just a second. We're going to confess sin. These aren't just motions. These are concrete actions involved with the coming of God's kingdom. And by the way, we're not doing this alone. We were talking about this at our liturgy tour last week. We join angels and archangels in this whole sort of celestial, invisible reality that we're entering into that they're saying, yeah, y'all, let's do it. That's what we're doing. Let's do it. And across the globe, Christian brothers and sisters are turning in repentance and entering into the kingdom this morning. And these... This is the food, this is the seed of that kingdom in our lives. Can you discern this? It may be hard to see. Can you discern it? This table, these sacraments are kind of like parables. They conceal to those who are like not interested. Fine. But to those who are hungry for the kingdom of God, it is being revealed in this food, in his presence. Can we discern it this morning? Let's take a moment of silence and invite the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and have the vineyard of God's kingdom planted in us this morning. Amen? Amen? You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.